On today's episode, we get to chat with our pals, the very smart and funny Amy Choi and Rebecca Lear. Amy and Rebecca are the dynamic duo behind Mash of Americans, a creative studio that helps their clients understand and connect to the dynamic, diverse, modern American audience. They reveal and recenter stories on the voices of the future, the voices you don't hear enough today. Important to note here, when I started working on the initial idea for this podcast four years ago, they were the first people I called. They have successfully launched a variety of shows and were so kind to share their knowledge with me. So thank you. They recently launched Grief Collected and Love and Norabang, two of my favorite podcasts right now. First, let's talk about Grief Collected. Grief is both a deeply individual and collective experience. In the arc of this show, they pursue an expansion of our understanding of the many dimensions of grief as an experience of our bodies, to our communities, to our governments, to our cultures. They're pursuing the answer to the fundamental question, can we change the shape of our future by processing our past? And second, Love and Norabang. A fun romantic comedy podcast set in contemporary Los Angeles. It's kind of an homage to K-drama and telenovela. Familiar tropes like business enemies thwarting love, secondary love interests, long-distance drama, companies worried they're being taken advantage of for their money. But in the end, it's all about two people falling in love in L.A. By the way, Love and Notabang was nominated for an iHeartRadio Podcast of the Year Award. Bravo. I'll have links to both shows in the show notes. This was an extremely fun conversation, and I hope you really enjoy it. Let's go. Very excited to have you on this. I sent you a few questions, which was end up being like the most complex, like SAT, and you both are very smart people. So uh, I was, I thought it was really funny that one, you took liberties with the quiz uh, and just <laughs> oh. gave lots of answers in some instances, <laughs> and then also uh, just decide not to give answers at all in some of them. So, <laughs> so look, <I'll... laughs> we this is this is a good setup for who we are, right? We're like that's a great question. I'll tell you how I want to answer it. <laughs> that may may or may not be a direct response to it. <laughs> and then you just jumped in and like, I'll answer for the other person. I know this is theirs. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that happened. I heard that. Yes, yes. Um, I like, I'm going to start with uh, words to live by. Uh, Becca, what do you think Amy's words to live by are? Oh, God, what did I write? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. Oh, <laughs> it's pretty close. Uh, she starts off with life is suffering, period, with a, a very quick JK and then maybe not kidding. Uh, <laughs> and then love as much as you can, have adventures, and then just went on to a series of uh, words to live by. Uh, but I do. I want to hang up I, real quick. I just want to like go back to, uh, you know, life is suffering, because what's really funny is I wrote a short that the one we're actually going to production in April with short narrative piece. And the I'm not joking. After like the title page, I have this very first line above the the, 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 the the script that says life is suffering. And it's when I saw that, I was like, wow, because I don't actually see that a lot. I don't see a lot of people actually, uh, you know, just you and me, Dwayne, you and me, whatever yeah. forces brought us together. I love it. Um, and so, you know, what, Amy, what do you think Becca's words to live by are? Um, get off the Internet. <laughs> Twist. I love it. You guys live and work on the internet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I saw the post today, by the way, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think the internet's extremely overrated um, and we need to get off of it. Uh, no, her life is short. Love. Boom. Oh, well, see, our, that, this is actually a perfect, um, like, it actually really does encapsulate our relationship that, like, 
at, at the second layer of everything, we have so much in common. And the second layer of everything involves love. Yeah, I love that. You nailed it. And it's true. I mean, you you all are like, uh, I love both your points of view on life because you're very, um, you bring so much to the table. And I think that's what makes you both such great creatives. You're extremely smart and brilliant, but you also have two opposing views in a way, but also ones that align. So it's kind of a cool dynamic. It's been fun to watch over the years. Um, since one yeah. of you didn't answer this question and the <laughs> other one guessed for the other person, uh, Amy, I think you know Becca's favorite book. What is it's it? Pride and Prejudice. Is that correct, Becca? It is because it's the greatest book of all time. <laughs> I, I'm actually due for a reread and actually Amy in this year, Amy and I are doing like a reading club together, just trying to make space in our work time too to read books. And I think there should be a Pride and Amy, Amy and I should do Pride and Prejudice read at the same time. Mm-hmm. I just think every time I read it, which again, I, I can't quite quantify, but it's, it's got to be. It's probably 20 times. I don't even know. 25 times. I don't. I, there's wow. no measure. It's endless. Wow. But first of all. I pretend to forget the end. And then Neil always <laughs> finds me. He's like, we have to leave the house. What are you doing? And I'm like, I, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, Darcy. <laughs> but I think that the layers of speaking of living a life and bringing that all to every experience you have, I, I, I recommend to anybody revisiting whatever art or book or poetry, any kind of art regularly in your life. Pick one or pick a few and seeing how it changes for you over time with your life experience. That for me is one thing that Pride and Prejudice does very easily. I'm like, oh my, you know what? Mrs. Bennett seemed like a real asshole when I was young. But now I read it and I think she's really just trying to figure out within the confines of the society she's in how to make sure her daughters like live you know, how to make sure that they can mm. thrive in whatever, what in her limited way, what she understands thriving is, right? Like they have a home and they have food and they'll have like a decent, okay husband. <laughs> and like, that's what she understands from that period. So, and actually her husband, Mr. Bennett is actually kind of a neglectful dickwad who loves only one of his daughters, you know? So, and that's as a, as a young person, I saw that totally differently. Mm -hmm. I still don't like Mrs. Bennett. She's a twit and says the stupidest things and is, and is very vapid. I don't want to hang out with her, but I think there's a way in which I have more compassion for what she's trying to do. And anyway, so that's the kind of thing over time. I just feel like you, I don't know. It's been, it's, it's, I love revisiting and, and Darcy. Ugh, do you so dip handsome. into like your favorite passages and like read 10 of your favorite pages or scene or when you do a reread, do you start beginning to end? Beginning to end. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have that um, for me. I don't, it's not like this is my favorite page. I, I definitely will s- sort of skim quickly through some of them where I'm like, I don't need to read about this ball in Mariton. I don't know. I also don't know how you pronounce any of the names of the British towns. So I'm just like, so in my mind, like there's some where I'd be like, I know what happens here. It's not that I don't care about the soldiers. They're being creeps and the younger daughters are just so dumb. Um, But it it does. I don't know. And anyways, and I love there's all these literary memes 
about oh, yeah. Pride and Prejudice and all these things now. There was one that was so funny. It was like a review on Amazon or Goodreads, which was one star. And it wasn't meant to be funny, but it was something like just people going back and forth to each other's houses all day. And I was yeah. like, that's exactly right. And that's that, life. That's, what else are we doing? I mean, that is what we I do, mean, right? I love it so much. Well, and that's like the plot of Mad Max, right? Fury mm-hmm. Road is you're just driving in one direction and then you drive back on the same street. <laughs> it's a great movie. That's a movie yep. that's like almost four hours long or Ooh, something. Yeah. I have it. Because it, so it goes by so quickly. It happens so it's quick. True. It's so visceral that it's like, oh my God, was that only Well, you drive really fast hours? down this one yeah. road. <laughs> Also, I love low stakes gossip just as a person. So uh, and Pride and Prejudice feels just like just a lot of low stakes gossip. You know, they're like, no, she 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 ran away with him before. It's just also how social norms have changed and how lucky we are, despite the chaos of this time to be uh, for me, like to be a woman in this time versus 150 years ago. I mean, you're just like they they, they worried that she would they their whole family would be shamed because she like went off ran off with some stupid guy Wickham the worst, <laughs> but you know and then it's like because then she would not be a Virhen. Well, I feel like I think you guys have your next series. I think you need to do a recap se- like series of Fred and Prejudice between the two of you reading it simultaneously and like yes. over like a mini series, like four episodes. A recap. Oh my gosh! Invite your I'm excited to, to hear. Take questions. Does Colin Firth make a cameo? Because I would like that. <laughs> I think you should. I- it only makes sense that he would. Thank uh, you. <laughs> you know, uh, I, that's how I feel about the sun also rises, which is really funny because it's. It's my favorite book of all time. And what I've enjoyed about reading it, because I do try to read it every few years, is that I pick up every new version that comes out at Barnes and Noble or the, the bookshop mm. or whatever. Whenever I see oh, so one at the, the airport. the covers and the every, reprints. But not only does the cool, creati- like the creative, the art around it, but also like they'll all have different prefaces and they'll actually uh. give me a new thing that they were like, we brought in this professor from Oxford to write a preface. And I'm like, I didn't know that about this character. And like every time I pick up one of these new books, I've learned something new about it, like historical and academic. And I was curious, did Pride and Prejudice, have you picked up multiple versions and seen any of that? Have you experienced that yourself? Um, that's a great question. You know, especially as all this stuff becomes in the uh, public domain, there's always more versions of it. Um, I took classes on it. You know, I feel like I read it. I read it on my own. I read it in multiple classes. But I ha- and then but now I have it on my Kindle. So just yeah. read the same one. Uh, but I do watch all the movie versions and then the interpretations like um Fire Island, which was Joel mm-hmm. Kim Booster's sort of so, sort of Pride and Prejudice, you know, gay Fire Island twenty mm-hmm. somethings, and um and I oh I like you know and once you know that layer of it, it's totally delight. You're like, of course, she's such a Mary. Well, He's how about a, you know like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies? Have you read that? I have not read that, but it's very was very popular. It was because I don't love zombies yeah. stuff. But well, it's I, another divergence it. between me and yeah. Rebecca and our cultural consumption. I love zombies. Have you read Project Prejudice and Zombies? No, I haven't read none it's of those so things. Good. I've read neither of your favorite books. So I have um, Ooh, two books to add to my reading list right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read, I think, the same time. I think it's the same author. came out with, uh, what was it? The Lincoln Vampire Killer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was, <laughs> I read on a flight and I was so tickled by it because the it's, I'm, I'm sure the Pride Prejudice and Zombies the same way. Where like there's, 
it's mixed with Civil War fact, mixed with the fact that Lincoln was a vampire killer. And like, so you're reading it and you're like learning about these crazy wars and then like, you know, battles. And I'd Google, I'm like, that was real. And then like, oh, and then that night he went and killed a bunch of vampires. I'm like, God, this is, <laughs> it was such an interesting device to like learn about more about this. And I'm a big Civil War buff, but I learned things that I didn't even know about the Civil War. It's very fun. So, a- Amy, we got to dig into this. So, you have to, what is one of your favorite books of all time? What, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Literally, I can't. I said this. I what? No, this is not a question I can answer. Um, a book that comes to mind. Yeah, it's not. Uh, can be anything. I can tell you what I'm currently reading. Nope. Um, <laughs> when you think about high school, what was one of your favorite books in high school? Let's go nostalgic. Darkness Visible. Well, that's a memoir. That works. So that's it's a not book. fiction. That's a yeah, book. 100%. That's a book. Darkness it doesn't say Visible. what fiction. It was, um, which is by William Styron. And it is his memoir of depression. And I had read A Tidewater Morning. And I had read, we we did like a, like a, a I don't know, like a Southern, Southern, a tour of the Tidewater and like, you know, honors English my junior year. Mm-hmm. And so we would, Fa- Faulkner, Faulkner. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We read a lot of mm-hmm. Sound and Fury. We read, mm-hmm. and then we had read A Tidewater Morning, which is Styron. And then um, it feels weird that this like old white Southern man was so relatable. But then I was like having a period of depression my senior year. Uh, and then I read his memoir, and it is astonishing. And he just really describes uh, what depression is. And he has one image that he goes back to all the time. Um, That's like when when he thought that he had like a glimmer of hope that maybe the depression was dissipating. He had a dream of a little girl playing the flute. And I think about that. A little, a dancing girl playing the flute. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, so clearly this book has to be in your top five. <laughs> it's pro- it's still on my bookshelf. It's definitely, I'm sure it's, in, I don't know. These are impossible questions. What I'm confused. <laughs> you should have seen me with that no, movie one. The movie about- one. I have like 300 and I'm just like battling. And it took me like six weeks. I'm like, all right, how am I going to battle, you know, like uh, this movie versus that? And then you had to like really, and I'd spend like the day thinking about it. And then I'd come back like this one won. And then like it took forever. Huh. But I feel like huh. I'm, what I'm confused about is, why you don't understand the definition of a book? You're like, but this one, this one, this one is nonfiction. I'm like, but that's what? Yeah, that might be the problem. I mean, that might be where we are. Like, that might be. The we don't understand this. what a book is. Maybe, but there's just so many. But I wouldn't. It wouldn't like or, jump out not- at me to describe that as my favorite book. the The boundaries of think about high school was helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep. or books you love, and that's what I had to do. With this I can list, tell you books I hate. <laughs> I'll tell you a book I hate. Okay, okay. two books I hate. Anne Rand, The Fountainhead. I love that I, you looked off camera, by the way, before you delivered that. You're like you, like oh, the, the I was stained that you it have was drama that you had yeah. like yeah. I remember starting in high school, and it was a period. I feel like maybe it's like that was like the Andrew Tate of, uh, you know, the 90s, um, where it was like <laughs> boys were reading it and being like, this is so right. This is just right. You know, this is just like describes yeah. masculinity. And I was like, 
oh, all these boys like this book. And I started to read it and I was like, this book is so fucking dumb. I can't believe it. Do you remember the scene where a baby gets handed the fountainhead in Dirty Dancing? Oh, no, I don't remember that. It's the shitty waiter that gets her sister pregnant and then doesn't take responsibility for the baby. And he gives her an underlined copy of... is it the fountainhead? Mm, I'm going to look this I'm up. I'm sure it's Anne Rand because like somehow it's like somebody else's responsibility, never yours. And I was, everything was so black and white. I was like, this is, this isn't right. But I was a little, it was, it was actually a very formative moment because I went to my English teacher and I was like, Mr. Bellin, I'm a little embarrassed, but I started this book and everyone's talking about it and they love it. And I just, I think it's really bad and I don't know if it's me and I I just like I'm like embarrassed to say that I really don't like it and he was like oh no it's a terrible book he was like those kids are idiots and I was like oh great uh it so was the fountainhead com- I just confirmed on reddit mm-hmm. it, it was the shitty waiter yeah hands her an underlined copy of the fountainhead to wow. explain why he's a dipshit yeah he's like you see because i am howard rourke or whatever the fuck anyways that and then i just read a book and everyone's loved it jennifer egan's the candy house and amy knows and i i just i had to read most of it to confirm but i was like what is everybody talking about what is happening in this book (laughs) i just anyways not to be shitty we mostly love books yes but i just wanted to name two that were not working for i think it's important that we do I think that was mm-hmm. important that we do because, and you know, uh, I'm also believe in I'm super anti in the modern world absolutism where you either love this book, uh, and if you don't, I fucking I don't get it. You know, like I don't get you. Right. But at the same time, you can also be like, I fucking hate that book. Like I've never been able to relate to Kerouac, and I remember like in college, I was like, I've, my friends are like, oh, it's so powerful, and I read it, I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't relate to this at all. Like I don't totally. Understand. You know, um, and that's a little bit as I'm, I've gotten older when I look back at Hemingway stuff because I love all of his stuff. I, I don't relate to it the same way I did when I was younger and a little bit more confused and more frustrated and more suffering, I guess. I don't know. Mm. Um, but Kerouac was one I, I would always say, like, <laughs> I felt like people were I was like, get off the road. What are you doing on the road? That's how I felt when I was reading Just it. going back and forth to people's I houses. Like, I was yeah. like, you got to get off the road, Dean. Like, yeah, come on. Honestly. Wait, but do you have a favorite poem? Why is that not on your list of questions? Oh, that's a good one. I, you know, I'm a big Poe fan be, only because that was kind of like the first stuff uh, the, that really I could feel. I remember being in sixth grade and reading Edgar Allan Poe and uh, The Raven. And I'm like, I get mm. this. Like, I really like uh, and I'm a very I'm, I'm very anxious. I'm a very anxious person. And so Poe's stuff as a very a kid to your point about being relatable, I'm like, I get the way this feels. <laughs> like, uh, I, this is my journey. This is the the suffering. Do you have a favorite poem? I have a favorite poem, yes. It is um, Falling Water by John Cady, who is still alive, another old white man from the Midwest. Um, and the it's a long poem. And it is about... Uh, his marriage it's about love and it is but the the premise of it is looking at um, beautiful homes and the and um, falling water in outside in Pennsylvania and he just the relationship he has because I think he lived in Oak Park at the time or he and his wife did at some point in their relationship and so it's all it, it like kind of looks at all these homes that Frank Lloyd Wright had built but it's about like what 
you know, the idea of home, what happens in a home, what happens when the home starts disintegrating, what happens when like the relationships inside the home start disintegrating. And Mm. it is just astonishing. It is just, it's so, 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 so beautiful. And I've actually never been to Falling Water. I've never actually gone to visit. And it's like, it's a weird thing for for it to be like, I don't have a bucket list, but maybe I'll make one now. Um, For it to be like high on my destination, because it's very easily achievable. I just like have not made it there. But that poem, I read it uh, beginning of senior year of college. And it was like, transformative it's so good you have to go i have to go i need you to go as soon as possible yeah falling water feels to me like it it holds up to the dream i did it once on a drive Mm -hmm. across the country and it i was like can i live here and i don't Mm -hmm. even like pennsylvania Mm -hmm. uh it's oh that's beautiful i love that i feel it's so interesting i feel like uh, the things you read also as a youth, you know, we're talking about some of these things and why they stick. It's why, like, I still like music from, you know, 1994 the most. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I got Oh, and there's so much science behind that. There is. Well, your brain is just, like, formed in a certain way. <laughs> what I was like, Yeah, but everyone should say 1994. I don't care what by... age you are. 94 <laughs> yeah. should be it. Yeah, they're like, didn't you know? Yeah. Uh, De La Soul and, okay, but... um yeah, what if I was like, Warren G. Regulators, one of my favorite poems of all time. <laughs> I'd be yes. Um, but I do think like being introduced for me to Emily Dickinson at that time, which is funny because the more you know about any of these people, how complex they actually were. But those poems have the beauty is there's so many layers to them. Mm-hmm. So you read it and the words are so accessible. Like... Um, Nobody, that poem by Emily Dickinson, is just one of the ones where it feels so, I remember memorizing it as a child. And I was, and I, and, and now when you know about her and what her life was like, it's so even more complex or all of our loneliness and um, yeah, just great art transcends time and, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, Becca, do you know what Amy's celebrity crush is? Um, is it, um, um, a member of BTS or (laughs) all of them? She, she has two answers. So you, Mm. you have two. Yes. So one is a member of the BTS and the other of the BTS of the BTS, the BTS. They're kind of like the Mars Volta, uh, the (laughs) BTS. So do you, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) RM maybe is that the one? No. Come on. Jin. Yes. Yeah. That's impressive. but then who is the love of my life? I guess it's unfair to call him a crush. The love of your life? I feel... It's just so... It's just right there. It's it's, it's hiding in plain sight. It's true. <laughs> it feels like uh, these things evolve by the moment. Um, oh, Keanu, obviously. I, don't <laughs> I was why. like, do Wait, we I don't know, know each other at all? <laughs> I don't. I'm so sorry. I like. I was about to. I was, like, yeah, I was about to stop the recording. And be like, this is over. Uh, you guys. I know. I'm sorry because mine were future. mine were more like not all time. Those are more, mine are more like well, mine. You'll guess them. You know them. <laughs> Amy, do you know Becca's? Diego crush? Luna. Boom. Yep. She has another one. Do you, can you get? Can you go two for two? You got the first one right. There's and another I'm, one. I'm with it's you. another one of the way. ones where you're like, you should watch this Star Wars things because he's <laughs> naked in it or whatever. Oh, oh, um, or like Dune. Him, Oscar. 
Yes, um, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. I was about to say Pedro Pascal because yeah. I have been obsessed and they're best friends. And so I put them together. And then I was like, do I start writing fanfic about Pedro Pascal and Oscar um uh, Isaac, Isaac but then out? I was like, that already exists in the world. I'm sure I just need to look for it. Yeah, we could read someone else. <laughs> yeah, but I feel yeah. like you, you'll bring a different point of view to it. And I it's think true, that you should true, definitely check. There's no limit to art here. Yeah, just write a, <laughs> just get a page out and see where, what happens. Just knock out a page and see where you go with this. I think you should. Uh, all, I mean, all of these are great options. All four. I mean, there's not. Oh, one. God. I mean, oh, we were literally watching. What movie were we watching the other night? Oh. DC Super Pets. Don't know if you've seen it, uh, but I, the, one what of the that fun things that we were watching. Yeah, one Pets. of the greats. Uh, Neil, what what's it's actually very fun to do is because all these these big uh, uh, animated animated features have amazing actors doing the voices, and so it's a very fun game to play. Which is like, whose voice is that? And then suddenly in that one, I was like, is that Squirrel Diego Luna? <laughs> <laughs> Neil was like, "Yes, it is." Like he looked it up. What do you? But then it's like on IMDb. It's a very, very, very fun game. And then, oh, good one happened yesterday, which was Neil was like, "What do you think Bono's real first name is?" And I was like, "It's something like Paul." Guess what it is? It's Paul. Really? (laughs) Yes. Mm. I know. I was like, I actually don't. I have a very good brain that does hold things like that in its folds. But that one's one that was just accidentally correct. Like, I feel like if you uh, guessed an Irish man of a certain age's name, you probably have like four or five, then you get it right. Mm-hmm. I, Remember that story? This is the story that stays with me about Bono is how he like flew a pair of his sunglasses across the world. I don't know. Do you story. remember? It's like an apocryphal story about Bono going to like some climate conference in the 90s, except what he did was then like get a seat on a plane or maybe a plane for his sunglasses. You know what? I love Bono. And when I, I would say a highlight of my life was watching you two play in, in Peckambu Stadium in Sao Paulo, uh, a U2 concert with a bunch of Brazilians and Mega, my best friend from college, is a, one of my top life highlights. I danced so hard that I peed on myself. That is for all the people to know. And lots of crazy things happen. I'm like, does that person being pulled on stage? And I was like, I'll cry to with or without you. And I'll oh. be in my, you know, every one of them. That's all. Yeah. What a, what a journey you know? for you. That was beautiful. What a journey. What's yeah. the edges first name? I mean, what do we think? Paul v. also. V. <laughs> I know. It's like Michael. It's Michael or Sean or Paul. Well, guess yeah. what? Guess what the internet's yeah. going to tell and, me. And I'm kind of the into edge. the fact that he flew his sunglasses over because I think it'd be yeah. very uncomfortable to have a conversation without him. And I don't, mm. I'd be like, no. Uh, you this guys, who you are. yes, I forgot. I was wrong. It was not Michael or Sean or Paul. It was David. <laughs> so Wait, that's what the edge's first <laughs> name is. Bono's first name is David? No. It's... The edge's is. Bono's oh. first name is Oh, Bono's Paul. is Paul David. Paul yeah. David Houston and his daughter Eve is starring in my current favorite movie which you're going to get TV show which is our pop culture current obsession which is Bad Sisters and her character in that is called Becca and that's how you bring it all that's, around well this is a great podcast I this is amazing it was a thank you for being on here I think we wrapped it I think we got full circle uh, we got there that's it. Uh, I, I you know I haven't watched that yet but I've heard good things Loved. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, let's go. We're going to one more question. I'm going to jump just because I think it's very interesting is film because film's very important to us. And mm. you're, you kind of, uh, by the way, uh, Amy, yeah, your, your answer on this was, was fantastic. I appreciate this sort of commitment to just not following rules. So, uh, <laughs> Becca, can you name one of Amy's favorite movies? <laughs> um, she loves Top Gun. Even though she <laughs> didn't make the list, oh, didn't you make the list. <laughs> she said she knows every line, even though she hasn't watched Maverick yet. No, right? well, see, that's the thing is that 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 is the movie that is um, embedded into like my nervous system for whatever reason, but it's not one of my favorites. Terminator Two is also embedded into my nervous system, but it is one of my favorites. But it's not like. It's not one of the, I don't know, the seven that I responded to Dwayne on. Okay. okay. I'm going to time out there real fast. <laughs> Train to <gasps> Busan. That's yep. Did it. Good job. That was impressive. Zombies, Koreans, <laughs> angry, mad, fighting, scary. But also Those are all highlights of things father, I will never watch. daughter love story. And it's about <laughs> redemption. It's about yes, what he I, does for his child. I don't even know what it's about. That's why <laughs> I'm just telling you. I know the little. I haven't watched it. And I need to. I'm going to watch it. What? I'm, no, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know. I haven't, but I need. Dwayne, to. it's literally the best review I ever saw of Train to Busan was like, no notes. It is just a perfect movie. I've heard. And I like, mean, it's on every list I've seen that I appreciate that aligns with the stuff I like. It's always in there, and I just haven't. I just haven't had a chance yet. Wow, I don't even. So I don't content. even. I'm so behind on everything. But that movie is also now like, it's like eight years old. It's got to be older than because Peninsula came out two years ago, and the sequel's not as good. It like looks amazing, but the the movie itself is not as good as Train to. Oh my God, Dwayne! I'm I'm gonna send you a note the moment I do. I uh I wanted to time out earlier. Like I it was, where did you get your film? Like when you were watching Terminator 2, who were you watching that with? Like what inspired mm. you to see that? Like you've thrown out a lot of really good, incredible films of the 80s and 90s. So who, where did your film influence come from? Oh, that's so interesting. I think I was like, um, I, that, I don't know. Because I was, I was like very much like, a, what do they call them in the 80s and 90s? Latchkey kid? Like my from the minute that my sister was like barely old enough to be responsible for a child, she was responsible for me. But then when she was in high school, like she had her own life. So I think I like we had cable and we had HBO and MTV. And so I think I watched. I know I was. So I think I just like watched on repeat what was available. And I also like Terminator 2. I recorded like over some like promo VHS cassette, you know, you put like the scotch tape over the little gap. And that was one of the movies that like I watched to death and had to record several times on a VHS cassette. So I don't because I could say very easily like my music and my book taste from a kid was shaped by my sister because I just had what she had. Yeah. Right. So I was like reading a lot of books that I was too young for or that makes sense. I think that's where my love of like dance music came from is because like whatever like, you know, Cynthia Electro stuff that was like popular in the mm-hmm. early 90s, um, late 80s, early 90s all came from her. Like I think for her 50th, I'm going to try and get tickets to Duran Duran, which was the first concert I ever went to that she took me to. Wow. Yeah. When I was like in eighth grade. So I, I think like. 
But I don't know where the movie thing came from. But there were some that like really got in there. And Terminator 2 was one of them. Like we watched it the other like a few months ago. And like I know it beat for beat. I was like, oh, the puddle's going to shake now. It's so good. It's so good. I think if I watched in, in that realm, I haven't seen Jurassic Park in a million years, but that was one that stuck from that of that genre where like when the eye comes down mm-hmm. into the car, mm-hmm. like I saw in the theater or like Speed, which I definitely saw in the theater in, you know, sixth grade. If you're wondering if I saw it eight <laughs> times in yeah. the theater yeah. with the same group of girls, I did. Well, I mean, it's a very important film. It is. It is. And... Uh, they're so handsome in it, both of them. And speaking of which, I went on an airplane recently and went. Now I'm on like a Sandra Bullock as a hero kick, which I was like, Lost City. It turns out when you're away from your children on a plane watching anything, you're like, Is this the best movie I've ever seen? I was like, Is Chan- is 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 Sandra Bullock a national treasure? Yes, first with, of all, yes. With yes. Channing Tatum and then Brad Pitt in that movie, I was like. And then I'm trying to explain it to Neil. It's completely nonsensical. And Harry Potter's in it, too. And the whole thing is, I was like, this is this is a perfect movie. I mean, I was crying laughing. I enjoyed every second, but it was in the line of she's still great 30 years later. That's all. She's fantastic. I watched the movie Kids a few too many times. That's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. And I think it. That was one that I watch and nobody. I don't know why I was watching it. And I don't know. I just went to the movie store and would get it out on video and i would watch it every weekend i guarantee that was a staff pick on like at the video store every every day video one on hillhurst in los Feliz, and i i watched it too many times and it had a very drastic impact on like my sense of the world also i think the first couple times i thought it was a documentary (laughs) <laughs> well, that well that's like the first time I saw um what's the movie where they go and the scratching on the camp tent walls? Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch. That one I thought I saw it in the theaters and I thought it was a documentary and I was so upset. Um, yeah. I was like, you can't let her you can't let Rosario die. what are we doing here? I was like, she we gotta tell her Telly has HIV. Like I was too upset. I had a boyfriend in my my high school boyfriend partially my college boyfriend who like had hopes that I wasn't as basic as I was, you know, because I really enjoyed Terminator two was like my jam, as you can tell. Um, And like, he would, he would get movies. Like we would like on Friday night, like watch a racer head or like need to watch like, um, what was the original Twin Peaks series? And then they had like Blue Velvet. I don't even know. But it I was, was like, on a David Lynch kick is what I'm hearing. I don't think this is for me, guy. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that was the end of our relationship. Well, that's the thing I find so interesting about the people who had, a, I don't know, like a coming of youth in the 90s is that the perception of art and commerce and popular culture is so different because that was when everything kind of got muddy. Like you were mm. seeing like Kurt Cobain. Oh yeah. You're telling me he's not like cool and amazing, but he's on MTVs. He sold out like, no Nirvana's like pretty hardcore. Uh, you know, Biggie Smalls being like at spring break in Lake Havasu city, Arizona on a, a mm-hmm. pontoon boat rapping. Like the, the commerce and art was starting to met, like come together in a mm. really unique way that, I same way I feel like coming out when I talk about stuff that's influenced me I'll talk to cinephiles they're like that influenced you I'm like but it was the thing like that's what everyone was talking about and uh there was something special about it I mean so I think that's it is 
it is it wasn't until later when I got to college when I had friends who like who were going to school for film and they're like, Oh, you haven't seen this yet? And they'd be smoking cigarettes and like, <laughs> like, no, I haven't seen that. And like, you should come over and watch it. And I'd watch them like, oh, this is neat. Like I get it. And I get the impact it had on cinema. But like, did you see all the other movies that came out in the nineties? Because they were incredible. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I also think there's something about like that's that's there's a, a unique thing that happens when you're like when somebody's also try to one up or be like oh no this is what's important like how you define what's important and it's also like right now the not just nostalgia but like how people's past works are shaped by their current persona or what they're doing like it is indescribable to talk about like what growing up in the 90s and being and like like you know, clearly it trickled over because I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. But like when all the kids in seventh and eighth grade are wearing Soundgarden T-shirts and it's like a completely different thing that's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And to be like, no, you don't understand. The coolest place ever was to go to a Smashing Pumpkins concert and like a small club in Chicago. And they were amazing. And then like I went to their farewell tour in a stadium like my junior year of college. And now fucking Billy Corgan is such a turd and he's out there and I'm like, I can't believe I ever liked them. But that's the thing is that you don't we don't um, like seeing people age is like such a gift and then also it's the memory it's like understanding that like you don't always like who everybody becomes or that like art can exist in a very specific moment like like what Rebecca was saying like why why are all of our musical tastes shaped by x year that like x hormone hit our bodies you know also you can still love his music and have loved that experience and he might have also been a turd then right (laughs) you know I mean we just didn't a have the same information about people or what what information whatever you don't have the same access at that time that's so different and we just didn't you know i was like i'll i'll fucking dance to any anything on the siamese dreams album you know like that you know like i'll make uh music videos in the backyard of my friend's house to today which Mm -hmm. is what i did a lot of <laughs> well it's funny because like to your point about developing these certain senses the i look at certain movies and i'm like this is what, like when i was doing my challenge of like what is my favorite movie of all time one of my darlings that didn't make it in the top 10 i'm like but it to this day i'm like it deserves it but on paper it cannot is i know what you did last summer because i remember seeing oh, that uh-huh. and that movie's in theaters i'm like this movie's incredible <laughs> and like the soundtrack uh came out on vinyl like three or four years ago i bought it. i'm like i wonder if it's any good and it is and that was such a special time, like, you know, mm-hmm. going to college, watching that movie in the cinema in the 90s. Like, it was so good. I don't know if that was in the 90s or early 2000s, but um, there's, but it doesn't hold up. I mean, I don't, I mean, for, for me, it will. But if I showed it to a kid coming out of some, like film school right now, they'd be like, maybe they wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. But there's something interesting about timing. Well, that brings me to my favorite movie, which is my two favorites, which are Waiting for Guffman and Notting Hill. Yes. And I would say I truly don't care if anybody who's young cares about Notting Hill and if they understand Julia Roberts, because if they don't, that's honestly their problem and their loss. She is (laughs) so extraordinary. Her of her life's work has been so great everything she is she is she it's like completely uh i she is so excellent in everything and Notting hill is a perfect film that actually has like you know the main thing it it is lacking is anybody who's not white 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I've decided for me, and I'm, I'm going to put this out there and I want to hear your thoughts on it. In watching old movies, again, oh, we watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids with the kids. So good. Uh, is it when you watch some of these movies from our youth, the the parts where that you can still watch are the ones where I'm like, well, either there's just either it's a movie that was about or a TV show that was entirely about people of color, right? So a different world or what have you, or everyone is white. <laughs> it's when there's like long duck dong and you're like, uh, no, we just, uh, we just can't, we'll just never watch this movie ever. There's not like trying to explain it away. It's just not working, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's something about nodding. I'm like, she's great he's great they're figuring it out it's delightful they seem like grown-ups obviously i google each time that she's 30 years old when she made it and i'm like that's very confusing for me at this stage <laughs> of my life but uh there's there's some of that stuff that just it's it like holds for me in a way that i could watch endlessly yeah yeah that they're like i feel like something like waiting for guffman weird comedy i wonder how that holds like our generation inherited at least there was a lot of people i worked who did theater and stuff who loved um you know and monty python stuff mm-hmm. right and i don't i wonder i mean we still enjoy watching it neil and i do my husband you know him but mm-hmm. I have people listening yeah. we enjoy watching monty python stuff occasionally and it makes us laugh but i'm not sure if you know are teens discovering Monty Python in the same way and laughing, so. or does it feel like maybe it was and too life of Brian many... Oso's like they're watching back to back double features, you know, Search like... for the Holy Grail and Life of Brian. Right, like I don't, I don't know if that is it. It's just to them. Does it feel like the the Stooges? Do you know what uh-huh. I mean? Because it's yeah, so old, it's equivalent age difference i mean of when we were watching you know what i'm saying i'm gonna ask this question because i'm doing an episode in may where i'm interviewing a bunch of like college students and Mm -hmm. who are in in for Mm. in for like film and i'm gonna specifically ask them like and i'll ask them that question i'll find out like have you and your peers watched this because you know it's like going to college like you're all like you've got your peers and they you've all consumed the same media i'm curious if they've seen it Totally. I mean, that's the thing about also. I mean, because so like Clockwork Orange, I mean, I think that was kind right. of, you know, I remember being in high school and like, what is this? I'm like, oh, this is incredible. <laughs> but like, it was like, I feel like it's like it's the same sort of, I don't know. I don't have to do the math here and figure out like the time differences. But Well, that's, what, that's certain... when you get, that's when you get really fucked up when you start being like, oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate you. Take, I mean, there's still so many more answers. We could spend another hour going through them, uh, <laughs> going through all of this. That was really fun. But I do want to talk about what you all do. But I want to know one, if you could each, I'm going to go start with, I'm going to start with Amy since you're my top left here and we'll go clockwise. Uh, where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and I stayed there all my life until moving to New York in 2001. And then I have been here. Um, when I grew up, I wanted, I have, um, when I grew up, I wanted to be a writer. Hmm. Interesting. Was it there? Is, a... Sorry, go ahead. No, did you, uh, uh, I know the path that you went down. Did you, like, when you were in high school, like, I want to write novels. I want to write screenplays. I want to write, to be a journalist. What was it that was most interesting to you? I wanted to be a poet. So I think that there were, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm unusual in the sense that like, I very much knew exactly like what I wanted to do. And I could see very clearly several, like a few paths that would go down that road. I wanted to be a poet. I wanted to be a journalist. 
So, you know, I think a lot of writers go into journalism because that seems like like a more acceptable path, which is crazy to think about. Like, but when I was I graduated high school in 1997 and then I went to journalism school at Northwestern. And um, in the olden days of 1997 to 2001, like it was still reasonable to to like go to journalism school and then have a career as a journalist. That was still a thing that like people encouraged you to do. It's not, I wouldn't encourage anybody to do that now, not because I don't think that journalism is like the one of the most precious professions in the world, but um, because it's incredibly difficult uh, to sustain your life that way. But I, I knew that like, I felt that there was, I had that like, um, like that m- missiony feeling Gabe, my husband, is always like, you know, like journalists really care. <laughs> you know, like you just have to care so much about what's happening to like literally everybody around you and um, the place that you live. And so I think I always knew that I wanted to do both of those things. Um, and I wanted to be a poet. I've, I've been like writing horrible poetry since I was since I knew how to write. Um, do you remember those like they acrostic? Were, they were very trendy for like 18 months. They were like gray recycled paper. It was like gray paper because it had been previously used and it wasn't like white notebook mm-hmm. paper. Mm-hmm. But I had a lot of gray notebooks filled with very bad poetry from when I was like eight or nine years old on. Um, and and who's to love, say it's bad? Love is it was bad. Great. I know because it, I know it was bad because my child, my older, my son is nine and a half, and I worked with him on a poet for his literary magazine at school. Which, by the way, he didn't want to submit to, and I was like, "You don't understand that this is if we have any family legacy, it's working on the school fucking literary magazine." And he wrote a poem, and it is very good, and it is. Um, much better than anything I was writing at his age. So I went to school. I went to university and I studied journalism and poetry. So I did a double major in like what well, they, they used to be, again, in the olden days, three tracks of journalism you could do at Northwestern or at Medill. And it was newspaper, uh, magazine or broadcast, mostly TV. Um, and then they're like, it was sometime like maybe my junior year of college that the student paper, the daily, uh, which is the best newspaper in the northern suburbs of Chicago um, went online like they still had a print edition but like they started posting the stories Um, and I studied newspaper and then I did a double major in poetry writing and I had like a very clear vision of what I thought my life was going to be one was going to be like as in as like a very like true artist path I guess I'd say like just like writing poems in the woods this was the period and the part of our origin story mine and Rebecca's that Neil her husband who is one of my best friends from high school that we would like we never submitted one but we would like always be printing out and sending each other like applications to McDowell and to Yaddo because those were like the only two writing residencies we'd ever heard of and we'd be like this is going to be what we're going to do when we grow up um that didn't happen that was one path. But the if other, any McDowell or Yaddo folks are out here, we would love. I would love. A fellowship. <laughs> Just pay for us to stay somewhere for three to six months. In your beautiful accommodations in nature. Um, I would yeah. like if it was in Hawaii. Mm. I'm just manifesting. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, I Go think on. this is great. This is what yeah, a lot of 100%. our career is. Got to put it out um, there. Got to yeah. put it out there. So there was that. 
Or I was going to be like a like running a bureau in foreign lands, you know, like in Tokyo or in Dubai or in wherever as a journalist. Or I was going to do something like kind of weird and culty in New York City. And um, I ended I did something weird and culty in New York City. That kind of blended all of the above. Yeah. So like I, I, I don't. Um, I think my path was like very directed in a lot of ways, even though I did a bunch of different things. But like, I don't have the experience of being like, oh, I never thought I'd end up here or I had no idea that this would be my life. This is like very clearly one of the three lives that I decided like would be mine. Bravo to you. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. And that was uh, I love the way you shared that. It was so thoughtful. Um, And Becca, Mm. where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you were a kid? Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, a a mile from where I, I grew up where I live now, having lived many other places for a good 14 years, but, um, in between, uh, but yeah, I grew up in Los Feliz in LA and, uh, as did my dad. Uh, so it's a multi-generation Los Felician. Um, before the Scientology Center was that, it was the Cedars of Lebanon Jewish Hospital. So that's where my dad was born. But now it's Scientology Center. When I was little, I always I always did a lot of theater um, in school, actually at the place where my kids, well, my son is in preschool and my daughter went there. I did theater there <laughs> like, um, you know. Just like it was like off kilter productions of of, um, you know, fairy tales. So I I don't think we ever like we didn't sing Disney. We weren't doing like Disney versions, but it was like, you know, Peter Pan or all of those things. Actually, funnily enough, I think I saw Alison Brie being interviewed maybe on Jimmy Fallon a few years ago and she was talking about it. And I looked her up and I was like, oh, my God, I think we did. No way. <laughs> I think she did JCC, Silver Lake JCC uh, musicals with me. I was Wasn't like, her dad I'm... like, uh, a, he was a journalist uh, for like the, the trades. I think he did stuff like that. I think. I'm sure something like that. I was like, her. Fi- no wonder her face looked so familiar. But anyways, that's just a fun fact. Um, and I always loved doing that. I loved doing theater and performance. I think So I think in some ways as a kid, I thought that I would do acting. Um because actually being from L.A., maybe I was like, oh, that's a job somebody has. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, and so I did a lot of of that. But um, it all ma- kind of makes sense in the end is that like I did a lot of theater production and also <laughs> like student leadership stuff. And I think in the end, uh, by the time I got to college um, and I was an English major, I was clear to me that I actually liked producing things and not acting in them and that people are good at acting and acting is actually a, a lot of work um, and and to do really well. And I was like, I'm maybe I'm not, I'm, and I also like to be more in control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think actors don't get as much control. Um, and so I, I started just to put on theater, like in, in, in and kind of, uh, experiential theater so we would take over like a, a victorian like the bottom of a victorian building in um in on riverside drive by i went to columbia um in new york and put on an oscar wilde play 
importance of being earnest and like make it all happen in. And so it takes place in a in the the movie that sorry, rather the play itself takes place in a living room and there's, you know, and we were doing it in a living room and, you know, all of those layers of fun and class and fucking with people and putting it together. That was really where I realized like, oh, I'm a, I like making, I, I liked doing a part in it and saying the most sassy things, but I all, and giving myself that part, maybe that's part of it, mm-hmm. but also um, really making something happen and knowing that you have a small budget or you know and and pushing it to happen and and get, and also making it an experience you have to have these are the four nights you get to have this experience in real life um and so it continues away and then I worked in like Central Park Summer Stage and did and Lincoln Center and my dad started to call me an impresaria which was very cool <laughs> and uh I just think that ultimately that is what it, it, it was just realizing that what I wanted to be was something I liked something about the experience of real life being together with people and also art and at the core of what like a a life would be like Mm -hmm. of of a of what I thought my career would be like expressing the depths of humanity through art uh, was sort I think that was I, I understood that was the thing. Did I play Goneril and King Lear in high school, guys? Yeah, it's not a big deal. Okay. <laughs> um I did play it. Um uh yeah. Did there you ever read a, a thousand acres? No. Oh, it's so good. It's like a it's a adaptation of King Lear and it's set in Iowa in the eighties. And oh. it's about a, a family a farmer. And it's like uh, a family farm that, you know, he has this like empire of a thousand acres and he has to divide it between his three daughters or like figure out what his legacy is. He really fucks. He really fucks up. He fucks Regan and Goneril. It's a, <laughs> a whole situation. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, then that's that was sort of the the dream, I think. Mm-hmm. When you went to college with um, as an English major, what was the intention? Was it creative writing? Did you want to again? Was, but what was the yeah, what was your path there? That's a good. Qu- I think I just always loved to read. Honestly, I I I I also uh, had a lot of like experiences of loss and and grief uh, in high school, and so I actually I really thought I would do maybe comparative religion or maybe even philosophy, um, because I was really, uh, yeah, I I was always really just trying to figure out how we deal with being alive, <laughs> and I'm not 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 from a sense of depression which we've talked a little bit about here that wasn't my particular way in it was just like wow this is very comp like people just tragedy is everywhere and how do we deal with it how if Mm -hmm. this is you know the sort of joseph campbell idea of like if 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 living is all dying (laughs) then how does all these religions and cultures find ways to tell the stories of it or tell themselves a story of it or cope with it to be alive? And so I thought that would be the thing. Um, and then sometimes it was more boring. And then, then for me, like it was just a harder path in. So I took a lot of courses, but it wasn't, it it, it sometimes was less creative in that story in the, in the way you understood it or less passionate. 
And then um, philosophy is just so hard. Like I loved taking the courses, but I was like, wait, okay, hold on. So Bertrand Russell, he said this this way. And then, you know, um, I, I could, it was hard for me to um, keep track of all of the specific of each person's very nuanced philosophies and I think I loved taking the class and like sitting in the in on the grass and be like is this green to you like that we're all basically high we weren't actually high in that moment but is green to you green to me I don't even know uh and but but so I think English was a really it just sort of happened really naturally which is that it was it's English and comparative literature was what it was called at Columbia and Columbia is also very has a very strict core curriculum so you really Really spend the first two years take reading uh, you know you're it's pretty prescribed mm-hmm. what you what you're meant to take and I just loved I I, th- I think I was able to to scratch the itch I had which was trying to figure out what it means for humans to be figuring out what it means to be alive through through art and that was what what in reading and books and literature was really the ultimately the way that served that same purpose. Well, that's good because means you got to consume so much material that yes. you got to see or read things that connected with you. And ultimately, you know, um, I think whether we realize it or not, when we're consuming media, TV, film, music, whatever it is, we're all becoming experts in it. And we're understanding if you're if you're being an observer, the triggers that are interesting to you that you find through conversations like, oh, they're interesting to you. And like, oh. These are the things that people find. These are the con- the hu- parts of the human condition that we all kind of relate to emotionally, and and then you ultimately totally. realize the payoff is that when they do do those things, you don't feel so alone in the world. Like oh shit, you know, right? You read a 100%. poem in your senior year, like oh I'm not alone. Someone else went through this and it's okay, uh, or whatever it is. And those are things that I think that are so special that you can literally take any genre, any story, any location, any actors, and create things that will make people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves and make them feel a little less alone. So I think that when people do these, you know, I think one of the biggest values of being able to go to school at Columbia or go through a specific track is that, yeah, you're forced to consume a ton of stuff because they kind of want you to see, like, go through all this (laughs) and then we'll guide you through the way to think about it. And along that journey, you're going to find out a little bit about yourself. Or It's really interesting that you say that because, you know, uh, as Amy said about journalism too, you know, you're like, you or the idea of studying it right i i completely understand why school that how messed up it is how expensive school is and that the way school college particularly structured is really not for everyone by any means but i also believe or and i also believe that like a liberal arts education where we were meant to we were told to read we we had to read and consume things and read and get into it uh expanded my way of thinking and and thinking about exactly what you're saying like the human condition from and and being critical uh too Mm -hmm. uh you know uh applying a critical lens to a lot of these things being like wow this doesn't hold up this is so this is this person's perspective i mean i remember in call it in high school them being like who's the narrator what do we have to know about them why why what 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 might me ask about why they would tell the story this way and I'm still trying to do that it all the time 
in ways that I didn't. I'm like, oh, wow, I learned history this way. Who was the narrator? Mm-hmm. Why are we learning it that way? And I think there's um, uh, there's just so I, I, I feel so lucky and I want to continue doing that instead of becoming totally narrowed. On the other hand, I only want to watch rom-coms. So I just want everyone to know. <laughs> well, I I'm also, also think narrow. like what you're saying, Dwayne, about like being less alone like that that's actually like a a principle of uh, probably all of our work is to see yourself as less alone in the world and that art connects us and that these stories connect us and you and you do not have to be um alone in your experience and or lonely in your experience Mm, like I believe mm. a lot in solitude and I think it's so valuable but loneliness is can be devastating and I think um like I was a pretty happy and lonely kid. Like both of those things were true. But what what's interesting is about all of everything we're talking about, like with films or music or uh, visual arts or, or, you know, books and writing, especially it makes you feel less alone. And I just think that like so much of the world of content that is out there right now is actually the complete opposite it just makes you feel more and more alone in um wanting to consume more just like stuff we were just talking before um getting on to this recording with you um, about like the study that came out about um like the devastating effects of depression that are hitting teen girls right like the cdc just released studies that like there's a 60 percent increase in uh in girls who have suicidal ideation like one in three girls contemplate suicide teen girls there's just like so much that teenage girls in particular teenagers as a whole are suffering but girls in particular and like it seems like like such a glib answer but like what is the thing that is the driving force behind so much of their lives that they are taking in all the time? It's content that like does not connect them. It's, it makes them more feel more alone Mm -hmm. all the time. And all I can think is like, well, wouldn't it have been great if fucking Mark Zuckerberg didn't drop out of Harvard and was forced to take some core curriculum fucking humanities classes Mm -hmm. and philosophy and ethics courses and like read a book that made them actually care Hmm. about what it means to be human instead of just saying this is how I can take advantage of human like our more primal desires Hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and it's just like because because like I think we've all referenced it a couple of times today is just this idea that like there's so much out there or like I can never catch up or like like I haven't seen bad sisters and I know it I would love it you but I'm too busy watching the last of us which I also love you know and I think there's just so much out there but those are like real stories but like really i would have time to do a lot more things and i am a 43 year old woman if like i didn't spend an hour looking at fucking instagram or whatever it is and i just think like when when like all of these things that like we call or like in our industry people call content now Hmm. Is that like there's such a difference to me between like what is content and then what is like a piece of work or like a you storytelling know, like a story yeah like a real story. Um, I also think there's something about I, again I, just uh, I I think there's probably a, a nice Venn diagram for all of us here on this and in our life experiences, but 
I always felt the magic of part of what I liked about theater as an example was actually the magic of the experience of the audience. Like, mm-hmm. what does it mean when you're sitting next to somebody watching? I remember seeing Stanley Tucci and oh my God, what's Carmela Soprano? What's her name in real life? No, what's Carmela's Edie real Falco. name? Edie Falco. Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, so Edie Falco and Stanley Tucci in, in a play, right, on Broadway. And there's a nude scene and a sex scene. And you're sitting there in a small audience next to people. And I don't know this old lady on my on my right and this other person on my left. But we've all wanted to have sex. We've had sex. We we might be wishing we had more or less or there's we all have a and we're sitting with each other sharing this experience, not sharing what we feel about it. But the energy that is created by that shared experience of this art, of this, that is so charged and feels so alive to me. And it's one of like the greatest things I feel that you can, it's like, ugh, now I'm going to get spiritual. But I think that divinity for me, like spirituality is that creation of some energy that is beyond, is like two or more people created. And it's something that's neither of you. Right. It's vibes. And I think that great art. Well, your mind was in awe, right? Like you're in awe of something. Yeah. And and great art creates vibes. (laughs) And I think that that's like. Tagline for the episode. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what our like, you know, it it, and, and, and it's an energy between people or not even just great art, just an experience of, of great music or. um, And I don't mean great. Like, I mean, I we've gone to see. Yo-Yo Ma playing the Bach cello suite at, you know, at the Hollywood Bowl. That is great, as is, you know, um, Notting Hill. But I think like I think that there's uh, it's not even high low. It's something about. Well, there's some, you know, you quality. Kind of a, yeah. Quality, because you're right. Like I had a colleague text me two weeks ago about something and it sent me down a spiral and he got an essay and text back from me. And uh and he's like, I would love for you to do an entire episode talking about this. He's like, you clearly have some feelings on it. And it was around the word content. And I'm like, mm. the I grew up in a, I, the things I was interested in growing up in the 80s and 90s was skateboarding and graffiti, both of which you could never become really famous at doing it. It didn't, it didn't give you money. And the whole point of it was to be original. Like if you did a piece of graffiti and someone else had done it like you're you're basically a loser right like you're mm-hmm. you're bite, what the term is biting you're biting someone's style so your letters can even look I like, like so you'd you have explained to explain the term biting to us because there's some people who don't know so they're <laughs> taken to the audience i know you all get it. so i had to like completely because i in this text i had to like the audience i'd be like okay i need to i think i need to tell you what this means so i um so I was talking about like, you know, there was a term like there would be a term for a graffiti artist that was going out for fame, trying to be famous. And it was like a negative connotation in a sense, like, mm. oh, you're trying to become famous. Yuck. And now we live in the opposite culture of that where mm. everyone's biting. Right. Everyone's copying whatever's out there. I mean, literally, there's a tool in Instagram that says remix because I'm taking what you did. I'm doing my own version of it mm-hmm. uh, or talking about it and trying to put my own spin on it. But like and everyone's out for fame. I mean, so everyone wants to be famous. So you, to your point, one of the things I'm really trying to like understand is that nuance of like 
what makes a great story and you ultimately find through this my own discovery for the last three weeks was around intention like mm-hmm. what is my intention for this thing like I'm not intending to be famous I'm not intending this movie to be make the most money I'm intending to like connect some people to uh, make me feel a little better about themselves and it doesn't matter the genre I can do that in a rom-com I can do that in a paranormal thriller mm-hmm. or sci-fi but like how do I connect people and like you just take a look at the human conditions like all the things that people experience I'm going to do a I'm going to do a psychological thriller on depression. I'm going to do a romantic comedy on depression. You can go through those things and ultimately figure out a way to be very intentional about the things that you make. And what we're Mm. seeing now constantly is formulaic content, right? Mm. So even studios and there's a certain element that just feels formulaic. And so when you look at like a platform or a studio, I have this conversation every year. I reach out to a bunch of people and I say, who's doing the best job curating? It's a single Mm. question. And, and like that number, like of the people who are actually curating a thoughtful, intention filled, artistic slate is dwindling every year because mm. they're becoming more formulaic. And so I think that's that thing was when you watch them, you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is. It's interesting, but it's not intentional. And you can tell like the, the mm-hmm. motivations behind it were maybe not aligned with trying to make. Well, it's know, like an algorithm. Yeah. You're yeah. like. And would be, and what we do is like we require so many different partners, right? Like to make film, television, podcast, you have to align all those partners to be intentional, and you know some aren't going to give a shit, and so you're like, I do, I need more intentional partners, less intentional, and so I think that that's, and then that's the stuff that's being served the most to teens or kids these days, and mm. then on top of that, social media, yeah, like I, you have to, feel, I think as much as we feel like we're connected, we're like never been so lonely. Right, because like I, I, totally, totally. And I then mean, when you hear like, something like it's so cool, and you're like, I don't get it. And like I feel worse now. <laughs> now I feel less lonely. I feel more lonely because I don't get. I don't relate to any of this stuff. Well, I think you know? the other thing that I find about social media, and Rebecca goes through mm. periods where she deletes all social media, and then she'll come back for like a work thing, and then she'll be like, Well, I feel I got addicted for a month, and I feel terrible again. Is I, that I, rem- um, I, I may never go back to TikTok. It's too good. It's too good. It's too good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that. Uh, like you don't have to be lonely if you can find company like in yourself yeah. or like in your own thoughts or like have a conversation with yourself or like have ideas that occupy you or that you could like read a book because I also think there's something interesting like and this is something that um Rebecca and I have even though she's a reader and I'm a reader different points of view on because uh gatherings are like very critical to kind of her point of view as a maker and Mm. for me I feel like most of the work that I take in is has always in my life been um like a solitary practice like I like to Mm. read and be alone or like as a writer and maybe this is because of the kind of writer that I am and like I have worked collaboratively with like other journalists on projects or like obviously your relationship with your editor is is very significant and like in in our work now, I serve more as an editor than as a writer. And like the work that I do with like our writers is really precious and collaborative. But like it's at heart, like a very solitary thing to do. Um, but it's again, it's that difference between solitary and lonely because you're so you have so many things that you can think about and occupy yourself with. And the thing about like content that and it's real content it's real work that people are putting into making their remixes or like making their videos or like doing their youtube channel or do like all of the stuff like like i'll watch i'll get a little stoned and like watch 30 minutes of like get ready with me makeup videos and like it's i enjoy it it's funny sometimes they're telling stories usually i have it on mute but 
that's real work and real content. But I just, all it does is make me think, do I want that lip gloss too? Yeah. Even though it looks exactly like this other lip gloss that I have, it doesn't fill me up in any way. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add. It just makes me always feel like I'm at a, a, some sort of deficit. Well, and it's I almost think like that, the difference is that it, instead of causing you like prompting questions about the world, it just makes you question yourself constantly. Or like it creates cravings for things mm-hmm. that like are not. Well, have you ever had this experience uh, like where you follow somebody, right? And it's somebody you know, right? Maybe somebody, it's like a, I, I, you know, it's like a nice a friend who, who maybe you just haven't stayed connected and they're thriving. And and some reason that then they get stuck and I'm like consumed with that person. And then mm. I'm like, wait, why am I thinking about this person? I don't I I actually wish them a good life. And I, I I and I feel weirdly bad that I'm not engaged with them in their life because they're thriving. And then I unfollow them. And then I'm like. I have no, I immediately have no feelings about them. Like, I'm like, oh, someone mentioned something. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad that they're doing well. I, it just, it makes you, I have a lot of that experimentation I do within myself. And I think is to realize how much this is, like, I don't have ADD and I, I come from a long line of ADD, ADHD people. So this is, it comes with respect. It's just not, I don't have that. My brain doesn't. But if I'm not in a book or reading a book or ha- focused on it I'm in between I can spend two months in between books because I'm just scrolling nonsense uh, yeah. or even if it's reading a long article it's all like and because the way the the form the format is such made to make your brain do all those things to have that question like do I need to buy more makeup not like huh, that's so interesting about makeup. What is the thought of like, what is, not that everyone needs to be having philosophical thoughts all the time, but like, why do we, I was thinking about this morning, like what, why do we dress ourselves up or do ourselves up? And I love that we do. And everyone in all history always has, you know, uh, in a version of it. So, but it, it feels, everything feels like distilled to its stupidest or something. (laughs) And it's also, using our brains in a way and this is like in the cdc studies this isn't this is like what psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors are saying is that we're pretty fine-tuned machines um humans we've been really evolved we we evolved you know we're still mortals and like lots of our bodies are pretty silly but we're pretty good at dealing with things physically and and emotionally that's how you survive and then this form of content and technology which is basically 20 years old like it's very in the history of things is zero it's like um it's like a a sack of cells um and we are not our brains are not equipped We, we have not evolved to take in um the amount of constant devastation that goes along with being human right bad news or seeing people in the world we already compared ourselves to our peers just seeing them but now you see them all the time and think like wow their house is so tidy and their kids are thriving and how did they get them into that camp or some shit whatever the thing Mm -hmm. is and this is not news but it's like our i think our part of where amy and i are finding a way forward as the mashup americans and in the work that we've always been really intentional 
And this is where we've always been, you know, pals around all of this, Dwayne, you and, and Rebecca, is that like we are very intentional and we're intentional about success and what it means to us and what how we define it for ourselves, not relative to everybody else. Like we're not like we're making a podcast company that, well, maybe now it wouldn't happen. But if we had wanted to make a podcast company that sold for a, a whole buttload of money a few years ago that would have been the plan we would have had and we would have done that we're making a creative studio focusing on mashups in this world and we're telling those stories whether it's in original content in fiction in you know in partnerships with with leading activists and just intentional people and the success is in building a life of making beautiful interesting driving work with us at the center, both me and Amy, and also mashups, you know, hyphen Americans, that is what drives us. And, and so then to not get confused by the, the rest, I think that's the, that's the work we're doing. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, you have to be, yeah, no, I think that makes sense because the studios are in the business and the people out there, you know, who are trying to make stuff that's a product uh, want they're, it's their job to market, advertise, and source material that people want to watch. It's the creators and the artists and the writers to go be very mindful and intentional about the content that they sell or they create and do it in a way that is interesting to people who turn into a commodity, right? Like, So it's like, yes, you have to be really intentional. And yeah, it's easy, just like the thing I was saying earlier. Like, it's really, It'd be really easy to create a production company that was just very formulaic and just did what was interesting and not have a fulfill, like a, a mission to make an impact. Um, and it, and it's much more difficult to be much more, to be intentional and thoughtful about like the way you hire a crew, the the person you want to work with, the stories you want to tell, the people you want to cast and all those things. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's harder to go that route than just like formulaic, which is ultimately the crux of what we've been talking about. Yeah. I just think, I think it like for, uh, for us to commit to anything, it has to be like additive to the world. Like if we're creating something, it has to create something good and I think that that also you raise a really good point that for us has also been critical which is that it's not just the end product like it's not a commodity um the content can become a commodity but that for us the essential part of like why we work and is also how we work Mm -hmm. and the people that we bring in and the way that we treat people and um you know that that if if the mashup americans if our driving force is like how to be human and answering that question and how to be good to each other then like how we work is so much of that that like everybody that comes into a project of ours understands that and that gets that and that the 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 actual working process is as as critical as the final product is right yeah. and that doesn't mean that people aren't like w- working really hard when they need to work really hard or that some things suck, but that like when something sucks because things suck, like we come together and figure out a way to work on it together. And mm-hmm. that, that, it ha- that is as much about, um, integrity as mm-hmm. like the artistic integrity. Like, and I think this is, you know, there's like a lot of questions to be asked around like when somebody's a turd, like, can you, can you, participate in their art or their form or whatever and for us that's a question that we're still answering about like art that's already out there but for the stuff that we make it doesn't feel like mashup or it doesn't feel right unless we know that we're operating the way that we 
want to or that we believe in. And that makes it, you know, I think earlier when you were talking about how like you line up partners and who gets the buy in and who gets to say and who can be kind of like off hands or, you know, doesn't need to care that much. It's like so critical to get that right, Mm -hmm. because otherwise then you find yourself in a position where you're like, wait, this is not me. I don't I don't like how I am in this interaction, you know. I think there's a sense of what does it mean to be and I don't I don't mean that I I think we're all hypocrites and we're all doing all the things all the time. So and I would love for especially like our fiction show Love and Norebang. I think it would be the best fucking Netflix show that ever got made. Like it is so juicy and good and, you know, and like fun and 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 soapy and and like I, I you know again I love rom-coms and you know like la bouche so but um I feel like there's a sense of how you operate being aligned uh that I think especially as we age feels more and more you know, I was saying this to Amy about, you know, we were having some interactions with some folks last week and I just kept saying, I don't, I, I, I'm trying to be introspective about what it is that I'm doing in this situation, why this particular kind of interaction keeps happening because I could, there must be something that I'm bringing to this that I'm, that I'm doing that keeps, keeps fomenting a certain kind of conversation and there's also the other piece of it is that I don't want to be in relationship to anybody right now where I can't be totally myself and totally clear I've never wanted that but now I know myself even better at that alignment of my own needs and to say like hey this isn't working the way this is can we adjust it like that feels like a totally that's I want to operate that way all the time I just want to be and I think that's what we're that's the way we think about our work, too. It's like it's not that everything is fixed or this is the right way or the wrong way or something can't be commercial or has to be two arts. It's none of that. It's just that the way that we do it has, you know, uh, alignment and intentionality. Vibes. 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 Tell me about how Mash of American came to be. The Mash of Americans is a boutique creative studio based in New York and Los Angeles, but everywhere that is navigating, recentering stories on voices you don't usually hear. We've been out here since 2013. Uh, it's really about hyphen America, this sort of idea of being rooted in something rich and also forward looking. And that that inherent tension there, which is where all the possibility is. And that's what the Mashup Americans is. We make original content um, like um, on our website, our podcasts, um, both a conversational one. We just had a did a beautiful grief series called Grief Collected, um, as well as uh, Love and Noribang, our first fiction show last year. Um, podcast, um, which was uh, is up for a podcast of the year. I heart congratulations. I saw yeah, that. very very Thank cool. Um, and then we um, work with clients uh, and select clients based on a lot of these criteria of who's the right fit to tell their stories. Whether that was you know has been when Hello Sunshine and Reese Witherspoon were starting and knew that it would take them three to four years for their TV shows to come out. We help them 
tell their brand story really early on, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, in the form of podcasts. Um, so often that's the format we're using, but uh, we do in multiple things. Uh, we started in 2013. We were friends through my husband, who is a friend of Amy's from high school. And it was sort of get newly married, having children and figuring out, you know, Amy's Korean American, married to a Mexican Colombian American, and I'm a, La- a Salvadoran Jewish American, and my husband's a, you know, British American. I don't know, blonde, and um, and sort of I wouldn't call him a hyphen. And then uh, navigating, you know, what do you name your kids? What languages do you speak? And realizing that the world and the stories that we were seeing did not reflect the demographic we lived in, we all are, that everyone around us was an aversion of. And and so that was a like, oh, why not us? Like, wh- what are we waiting for? Who Who's going to tell these stories? Uh, and under, you know, in the Obama era, that felt almost like this will be passe. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. And <laughs> it became even more cr- critical over time to be really clear about So everything from being explicit and a lot of our original content is explicitly about mashiness, about being a mashup, about defining this demographic. Um, And then uh, our partner content and our client content is the process and the way that you hear it. Ultimately, it's always signature mashup and whose voices you hear and how we make it. Um, But even if the content itself isn't about mashiness it's and about for, incepting mashiness oh we yeah. love to incept we're incepting all the time <laughs> and then the other thing is that i would just say is you know we set out and i went i got an mba like i was like okay we're gonna start a business i need to figure out the market you know who exactly the addressable market is and, da, 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 and i was like doing that work then we'll start and then it was like let's just start a tumblr because we had the skills to do it ourselves what could we do ourselves that's always been part of how mashup works like what is the what are the layers of entry and what are the things that we can do we are writers i can i can mock up a silly graphic you know and so we could do all of that until we needed help to design a website or each of those steps um, and bring other people in and i think also the addressable market you know nobody is me- was measuring mashiness and so and now you can see that between 2010 and 2020 the if 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 people who identify as multiracial Dwayne, more than one race if it are a proxy for mashiness even if it's just a, a segment of it um and it's the only one that's now at this point being measured it increased by 267% be and and between it makes sense though yeah and nobody measured it before the year 2000 and in 2000 to 2010 that in, it increased by 32 percent. so it's always and we we were like yeah we know we're out here this is like we know because we're looking at them so that's the story of the mashup americans which you can find at mashupamericans.com or uh anywhere you listen to podcasts look up the mashup americans and love and Norebang and those are the, that's the main things. Oh, and our newsletter, newsletter, which comes out every Saturday, has for for nine years. We just switched to Substack from Mailchimp. That's a story for another time, and um, we're very proud of what we've made.
You should be. It's so incredible. And it's so funny. Like the, um, I've been in, I started interviewing people, I think around 2002 and it was a via email letters, postcards, however I could get people's attention. I would try to interview them. And you all had an event at the Grove at the farmer's market. At the, oh my God. Yeah. And it, it was one of my favorite things that I've seen. I talk, I honestly, I bring that up once a week. I'm not joking. Like it was, Ugh, I, it was it. such an amazing uh, panel that you put together of a, a diverse group of entrepreneur people in the food space throughout Los Angeles. And, um, you know, one of the conversations that is, uh, is throughout the theme of Mash of Americans from interviews and the website and at the panel was, you know, what's your comfort food? And I straight up stole that at the, it's my last question on every one of these episodes is I ask people what their comfort food is because, up to that point, I'd been interviewing people probably for like 13, 14 years. And I've tried to think through all the questions that are very simple, that give us a picture of the per- the person and who they are. And it's my favorite. It's my favorite question. It's such and it's and it was all because of you all. And it's such a beautiful question that shares so much about a person so very quickly, um, makes them very vulnerable. It tells them a, it tells a very beautiful story in maybe a word or a sentence. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to ask you who, uh, what your comfort food is, but uh, do you remember who came up with that question? Uh, oh, uh, that's a great question. And I would, I'm going to say no. And that's because I think our brains are, um, very shared at this point. I mean, I'm very lucky to have two tourist spouses, um, <laughs> Amy and Neil and, uh, our birthdays are three days apart. And I think we're good at giving credit to each other uh, when those things are very distinct. But it feels like the idea of how we ask questions, and I would love to hear your response to this, Amy, but the, even our list of those kind of questions um, came together just because we were trying to explore exactly that. What are the questions that will show, you know, other ones were like, what do you spend money on that your parents never would? Um, that sort of give a sense of that you give a sense of your mashup life mm-hmm. experience or what's always in your fridge. Um, and food is such a good way in. It's 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 like the it's what almost do you feel guilty about. That's a that's that's the that's the less way in. You got to get to that. <laughs> People have Wait, to be aware. I, 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 I don't know. It was a I, I can't I have no idea. No, literally no idea. What if we could go back in Google Docs and typed it? Yeah, like go like <laughs> edit from 20, 2013. When was the last edit on the original questions list uh, from twenty thirteen? I love it, and I appreciate you all. Uh, that event was so neat, and like I, I'm not joking. I bring it up all the time. It's so special, and so yeah. What it? What is uh? What's your comfort food, Amy? My comfort food is white rice, kimchi, and fried spam. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. My kids and husband can always tell. My kids just know it's like one of my favorite foods, but Gabe always knows. He's like, if he comes in, he's like, something happened today <laughs> because he can smell the fried spam in the air. Do you, uh, <laughs> how thick do you cut this, this spam? Oh, that's a great question. I would say, a quarter of an inch and it has Whoa. to be crispy on both sides. So you, you pretty thin cuts. I like that. Pretty thin cuts. Because to me, it's like kind of like why I like like hash browns. It's surface area to f- filling. I don't know. It's meat, right? It's meat substance. I genuinely love it so much. 
It's so good. And I can eat it in lots of different forms, but that's my favorite. Like me being home alone a lot, it was um, like microwaved white rice with um, like the, these days people would call it the rebranding of margarine into vegan butter is very funny to me. Oh but my we always God, had... I didn't know that. Uh, you oh, know it's the, vegan butter. Racism is vegans. It's vegans. It would be like steamed white rice, country crock, and soy sauce, and sometimes an egg if it were like, if I were like really going crazy, but. Oh, wait, do you know that this was um, in my high school cafeteria? There were like styrofoam things of white rice, right? That was, and all the girls, we did a lot of either soy sauce and white rice as like our mm. main so meal good. or sometimes a little bit of butter. So mm. you would really thrive. Vegan butter? Ew. <laughs> No, it was probably like a butter packet. And yeah. Becca, what is your comfort food? So similarly in the vein of rice, I would say uh, rice and beans, like that with a little salt, squeeze a squeeze of lime or lemon, and maybe a maybe some avocado that I could eat. That's just it. There's Where do you that. put the lemon? Just across it, all over it. Yeah, what are you talking about? Where I don't know. I've lemon? never. I've, that's not a a rice and lemon is not a combo I, I use. So I'm curious. Where oh, is it? so that's so interesting because uh, something. Another thing that could go in as an asterisk on anything about me is where do you put the lemon? And the only answer is everywhere. Like I don't. I I just uh, that's lime or lemon. Tangy is my favorite flavor. Uh, yes, everywhere. On it everywhere. Uh, that's yeah. Good to know. Yeah, so that's my just a rice beans bowl with, you know, salt, avocado, lemon. That's a real, that'll do it. I'm going to make it this week. I'll make both your dishes this week. And I'll oh, send you please photos. send I'm pics. So yes. I would like uh, you to make both dishes this week tonight and show us you eating it while Train to Busan is playing in the back. Oh, my God. I love this. And then when Notting Hill is playing and waiting for Guffman. Notting Hill is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a mad love for it. Uh, I'm not joking. I came across a a post of the bookstore and like, this is the address. I'm like, save. I need to go there. Uh, this <laughs> You're is like on in my front of the list. little blue door. Yeah. Like- and by the way, I wanted to bring up America's Sweethearts, which I always thought was a really f- wonderful film around the time of Notting Hill. Uh, because uh, I uh, was John, a wonderful John Cusack I- fan. Oh, uh, you know what? I, we're going to have to do a rewatch. I might do a Julia Roberts binge. I recommend, I liked, in my mind, America's Sweethearts is the origin story of Notting Hill. So I recommend watching that before. Yeah. In my own mind, I've created this this universe. Wait, I love The Julia Roberts cinematic universe. Wait, this is how, in my mind, Say Anything (laughs) is like the prequel to High Fidelity. I think we could put all, not, we could probably put all these. I just wish John was in Notting Hill. In that Notting would be Hill. Yeah. They just, they separated and he went that way. So, no, I think that's a, <laughs> but no, you're right. Saying that makes sense. I love that. Right? It's him as a high schooler and then he gets a little broken and then he opens up his record shop. Oh, oh you know what? I, I do feel a high fidelity and did introduce me to one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Stevie Wonder. I believe when I fall in love with you, it'll be forever. I hope some producers, this is it, you guys. This is my star (laughs) search moment. This is it. (laughs) Thank you all so much. I appreciate your time. We went way over. But uh, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure. This is so great, Dwayne. Thank you. 
And that's a wrap. Thank you for checking out our chat with Amy and Rebecca. Links in the show notes. And uh, I highly recommend checking out Grief Collected and Love in Notabung. Follow them on Instagram at Mashup Americans. I also highly recommend going to their website and signing up for their newsletter. One note, um, a little bit of a fact check. I'm sure there's a few throughout the episode, but one that came to mind was Bono's uh, sunglasses. I looked that up. They were not flown to him around the world, but he did have his hat flown to him from London to Italy before a charity event that he was doing there. So the more you know. Finally, the best way you can support the Smith Society podcast is to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It means a lot. Follow your dreams, no matter where they take you.